Recorded live. Yes, sir. Yeah, how you doing tonight? All right. All right. Yeah. How's everything? I'm good. I can't complain. The year just go by so fast. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, definitely want to get your take on a little bit of things that's been happening in the last news cycle, especially from a legal point of view. Okay. Yeah, I know you heard about what happened with Dylan Roof today. He was found guilty, the guy in Charleston. For the uh, church massacre, I just want to get your thoughts on him and that case and your opinion about that ruling. Okay, let's start off from the beginning. Okay. Nine dead, one million dollar bond. Memphis, Tennessee, one dead, just a general shootout, nine million dollars bond. Mm. (laughs) There's a case that was uh, up and about earlier. Anyway, you know, this and that election that we just had, to put this in context, should be a wake-up call to black people. It's not all right, like so many seem to think, where just a little bit of fine-tuning is going to make everything okay. Uh, There are some severe issues, and one of the worst is the fact that in this country, we serve as a scapegoat. And when times are hard for the general population, it gets worse for us. Mm-hmm. There's that old saw, last hired, first fired. That's kind of a reflection of that. So we have to be vigilant and direct ourselves to keeping that from happening. Unfortunately, too many young people who have the opportunity to do something about it, don't because they don't perceive it as a necessity. Uh, Fifty years ago, when black folk went to college, you heard over and over, I want to make a difference, I want to make sure things get better for the people, I want to change things. You don't hear that now, and nobody's interested in, say, civil rights or anything like that. And by that, I don't mean the civil rights demonstration where we got down on our knees, prayed, and got beat about the head by some fools until they felt guilty about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is, and perhaps what we need is a bit of radicalization in our neighborhoods. Yeah. Too often what we get is glorification of dysfunction and... Uh, We tend to have ideation and goals that really hurt our cause rather than help it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a bad problem. So young people, focus. It's not over yet. There's still a chance for you to be a hero. Well, I used to do about, you tell about black America, how black America is a scapegoat. And I've been uh, looking at the fact in the sad news cycle that Donald Trump has been meeting with, uh, I guess, respected, successful black people, like icons like Jim Brown or even the Kanye West. He's been meeting with people, business leaders, uh, black folks, entertainers in the community. Uh, he seems like he's very much concerned about providing type of a, uh, a black agenda a program for black America. What's your thoughts about that? 
I think Donald Trump represents reality. And one of the things we have forgotten is the necessity to cope with reality. A good old boy redneck will probably treat you better than a West Coast, East Coast liberal when it comes down to the crunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Coast, East Coast liberal might invite you to a party so they can say that they've been around some militant blacks or black people that are doing something, but that's about as far as it goes, and they look down on you with a task-oriented inferiority. In other words, there's nothing you can do they can't do better. Good old boy might say, hell, at least he can do a car, or he can be a mechanic, or hell, he might even be a good doctor. You know, there's a different kind of thing going on here. And I told uh, some folk a while ago there, if you ever get a chance, Google it. The name is Conrad Lorenz, L-O-R-E-N-Z. Mm-hmm. He was a doctor from the 1930s. He was Jewish. He escaped the Nazis in Germany. And he wrote about aggression. And one of his postulates was that anytime you get a large body of people, you get a mass of interpersonal hostility and aggression. Most countries have to have an outside boogeyman and so it's them and us. So you can have a home team, visiting team mentality. And if there are problems, you can scapegoat or vent your frustrations and aggressions on the outside <laughs> threat. In America, we've got black people, so... We have an internal scapegoat, so even if the white person in question would never directly think about lynching a black man, he would vicariously vent on the black man. In other words, what they say when there aren't any of us around is a reality, and I think one of the things that came out in this last election, fortunately, revolving around Trump is you heard a lot of that language that comes out when we are not around, you know. Mm-hmm. So we tend to forget that, but it's a reality. So at least when it's out in the open, it could be worked with. When it is insidiously put behind a smile, a grin, and a display of liberalism that masks the same racism it's not good for us. You see, our elected officials, our appointed officials, liberal whites, uh, black officials, they tend to do something that's interesting when they get in office. They deliver for the same white elites that have always been able to secure uh, persons who will give them what they want in exchange for something else. And then the leadership we look to comes up with these frou-frou little appearance things where it is a welfare cause here and there or a poverty cause here and there that does not help our middle class, nor does it move the impoverished members of our race up above the bottom line. It doesn't get them out of the safety net. It does some dangerous things. 
like, for example, for 50 years going on, not quite 50, you've had an environment where people were rewarded for having a bunch of children. In other words, the more kids you got, the bigger you check. The predicate being that you could not get a job, you were unemployable, and you were undereducated. So in other words, dysfunction was rewarded, and you set up a cultural situation where people took advantage of that landscape and said, okay, ignorance is sellable. Stupidity is sellable. You know, having no family is sellable. Uh, Eleven kids and nine different baby daddies is sellable. So you had that exploited, and now we've got a vicious situation there where the black family has been destroyed in a lot of the cities. Same thing going on with poor whites. Same thing going on in the barrios and to a growing extent with Native Americans. And we get the bottom rung of everything. The last hired first fired, and... The mainstream is beginning to suffer because this country has not come up with any governmental policy to do something about the obsoleted, ordinary worker as a result of industrial technology and computerization. Mm -hmm. So it's getting bad. The middle class drops down into the lower class. The blue collar becomes obsolete. Uh, a college education does no more than a high school diploma used to be. College educations are not reflective of a broad look at what's going on, but, oh, my God, it's so unfair to them. They want to go to grad school. So why do we make them take these breaths, make them understand the real world, and why don't we just let them specialize in their degree so they can be narrow-minded ignoramuses, you know. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of education becomes a dangerous thing. So we've got problems. We've got problems, and we're in the same position England was 100 years ago. They ruled the world. They had a British empire that was paramount in world affairs. And what happened? They downgraded education. They had a class system that was bad. And they let the upper classes get too much of the money in proportion to others. And they had little glamour programs, socialism to placate those who weren't on the top. That caused a dialectically negative spiral. Their country fell down and they lost out to the United States, and now the United States is about to lose that position to China. So there are cycles in the world, and I think we are on a downturn. I don't think we'll ever get out of this. And black people, well, we've kind of missed our opportunity. We had our window, but we got too full of uh, dysfunction and, you know, we want to be happy and, you know, everything's all right, so let's go Atlanta housewifey 
and it'd be okay. And we missed the door that we had. We get satisfied with a Barack Obama who essentially looks like us, but he did nothing for us, and he has nothing in common with us. So uh, we were going for Hillary Clinton, who looked liberal, but had nothing to offer us other than, once again, demanding and expecting our support and four years, eight years of getting nothing for it. So we lack uh, incentives in education, and it's destroying the human infrastructure of the country. We are debasing our public education, which is how the country got where it was, black, white, brown, weird, red, yellow. Mm -hmm. And we have not done what is necessary to maintain employment opportunities for all. We have completely forgotten about that, and we've just left it to this nebulous myth of private enterprise will solve everything when basically all it is is an accommodation of sheer rank greed. And when you talk about private enterprise being the solution to something versus governments getting involved in it, you have to understand whether the government, all that counts is cost and output. But in private enterprise, you've got cost, output, and profit. And in terms of maximizing profit, which is accommodating the greed aspect of capitalism, you always get a lot of corners cut. If there are efficiencies to maximize the output of invested capital, okay, fine. If it's their money, fine. But we've corrupted the process into a system where the taxpayers' dollars are used to stand in for private investments. And it becomes not private investment. It becomes risk of the taxpayer's dollar for the selective gain of private entrepreneurs. See, that's not the way the game's supposed to work. Mm. But it's gotten around to that. So we've got some problems. Uh, that was interesting, though, going back to your point about what happened with the conviction. Now they're moving on to the death penalty aspect. Now he's trying to claim insanity, right? Yeah, but still, no, he's been found guilty. Once you get found guilty, then going to the sentencing aspect, all kinds of things come on. I found mm -hmm. it very interesting that he was attending church services with them and was looking them right in the face. Mm -hmm. And we were so anxious, oh, my God, we've got somebody on the other side come to worship with us. You see, we get too caught up in what expressions of belief rather than in realities. And, you know, he took them out. He was looking at them, eyeballing them, and smiling in their faces, and then killed them. Hmm. That's the theory that they convicted him on. But, you know, it, it's a message there. What do, you, what do you think about his selection of the church? Like they said, he allegedly said that 
he preferred the church over attacking a group of black drug dealers because they will fight back or shoot back versus the church being not like that. What's your thoughts about the, you know, the fact that he might have said something like that and the situation with the church today, the black church? Well, the black church is not really an institution designed to achieve socioeconomic political advance for our people. It's always been an institution designed, uh, set up and supported by the mainstream to placate our people and keep us passive and under control. It also goes to a thing concerning the Second Amendment, which one side says, look, uh, those who are talking about disarming, you know, you can't disarm a country where there are more guns than, almost more guns than people. You know, they're out there, so when you start talking about disarmament, you get gun-free areas that, as the person who was convicted said, he picked the church because he felt it would be safe for him. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I would say this, after 40-some years in the criminal justice system, one way or another, the police can't protect you from being killed. But the only thing they can do is draw a white outline, chalk outline around your body, and perhaps bring whoever killed you into trial or bring them to justice or charge them, but it didn't protect you. They can't be where they need to be to protect you from random or targeted homicide. It just doesn't happen. Mm. So he said it. He said going to a church was a place he felt was uh, safe for him. And he hated black folks, so he decided to take some of us out, so he went to a black church. Mm. Of course, I find it interesting the number of black preachers I know that carry guns with handgun carry permits. That might say something to it. He seemed to have picked his target right. Nine people died, and nobody endangered him. And he knew he might get caught. He didn't care. He just wanted to express his hatred of black folk and become a martyr to that cause. So pick a peaceful area, kill the peaceful people. Hmm. You know, I find one little comment on that. We had a Cold War that went on for 40-some years, and for the same reason that the country engaged in a program of mutually assured destruction, MAD, as a mm-hmm. degenerate, that ought to be something to let people know how it works on an individual basis, too. If everybody's armed, yeah, they might fight, but they sure as the devil think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting. I know, like, just thinking about what you said about Dylan Roof, uh, they said he wrote that manifesto about how black people were criminally, criminal people and, you know, just evil people. And I was just interested because they talk about fake news, and I was just waiting for the news to make this connection that they knew. They probably did know the place where he was caught at last year when they caught Dylan Roof before they put him, you know, took him to Burger King. They had caught him in Shelby, North Carolina, 
And Shelby, North Carolina was the birthplace of Thomas Dixon, the guy who wrote The Klansman, that led to the movie The Birth of a Nation, the original one. So I was wondering why they didn't make that connection on put down the news feed that this is where they caught this guy. This is where he went to, Shelby, North Carolina. Yeah. All of the above. What's your take? What's your take on the case with Walter Scott? You know, a lot of people are upset, a lot of black folks in particular are upset with the guy that the jury foreman, the Dorsey Montgomery character. A lot of folks think he's, they call him a clone or a sellout or whatnot. They were really upset with him in terms of uh, assisting in the mistrap of the Walter Scott shooting. Uh, Michael Slager got off. Uh, what's your thoughts about that case? Well, you know, when you get through with taking out the nonsense the media puts into the equation, somebody mm-hmm. may simply have done their duty and been fair and impartial. Mm-hmm. I, when it happened, I thought I might have been accused of that. You know, James Earl Ray supposed to have killed Dr. Martin Luther King. He was a racist. And he shows up in my courtroom, but I kept a fair mind, open mind, and I just applied the law, and I was neutral and impartial. And guess what? Turns out he is not the person that is the killer of Dr. King, and the killers are still at large. They may be dead by now, but the case has not been solved. That rifle down in the Civil Rights Museum is certainly not the murder weapon. So the public has been bamboozled. And what I came up with, with an open mind, looks like the FBI had complicity in the killing of Dr. King. So you see, if you keep an open mind and you don't let bias and prejudice intervene, you might come up with something different. And it might come up that maybe that was a good reason when he listened to the instructions. You know, if you are not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that there is no other alternative that's reasonable to what the state advocates, then you're supposed to acquit the defendant even if you otherwise believe he's guilty. I've had cases as a judge or as a defense lawyer where, you know, somebody got acquitted the state thought they had an ironclad case only to be thwarted in it and then have somebody confess to the same crime some months later. Mm. Well, when you have a case like the Michael Slager, we see him on the on the video shooting Walter Scott running away in the back. How do you make a, a exception for that? I mean, like I know what you're saying with the, the previous cases, but... How in that case where you got this video of this guy shooting this guy in the back running away, and then it seems like he's turning the evidence on the guy? I wasn't there, but Mm -hmm. I've been in situations where there have been violence. Mm -hmm. And see, somebody running directly away from you might look like they're running towards you. It could be dark. You could be freaked out. You could earnestly believe something is the case when it's not. It may be an honest mistake. There may be not intentional reactions, but just automatic reactions. You see, just because you are a cop or a soldier even doesn't mean you are a brave, cool, calm, and collected somebody. 
Sorry. It may be a little punk who's in there where you shouldn't be, and you panic. So mm-hmm. it's punk that caused the killing rather than malicious intent. So should he be guilty? Would it be manslaughter then? I mean, what would it be the I, I don't know. I haven't heard all the proof. I don't know why the trier of fact does what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually I went to North Charleston uh, last year, a little bit, like a month or so after the inc- the incident occurred. I guess it was April 4th, uh, 2015, and uh it was amazing going back there because you always go to these places like Ferguson or even when Emmett Till allegedly wolf whistle at the white woman, Carol, Carol Bryant. These are little small places that you could miss easily because this place where Walter Scott was allegedly shot at, it's behind a shopping mall center. <laughs> it's really like a small little thing. It's like a back alley. So I was amazed. And then he got the, uh, the auto park place where his car was pulled over onto the side street. So I just, it was amazing just to go to those places and look at how small these places that changes the narrative, like these incidents in history. I mean, just, you know, taking a back by it. But, but also just the, the, the people mentality in, in Charleston is interesting. Well, okay, see, and then the other thing, too. Mm-hmm. Let's back off a few paces and look at it from a little bit greater distance. Okay. You see, the media cherry-picks these cases that they hype. Mm-hmm. And for every one, there's actually about 50, 25, 30, 100 others that occur about the same time period yes, that sir. you don't even hear about. So it's not one case. It's a trend that you need to be concerned with. Do you believe that the news is trying to hype up race war? Or are they trying to make stuff? I like- think the news has changed from a public service to a form of ratings-driven entertainment. I think CNN did a disservice to news when it went 24-7 back in the 80s. It got established firmly by the Gulf War in 1990 when there was enough news to keep everybody interested and the situation tense 24-7. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, there's not enough news to be worth 24-7 attention. But since we have that kind of format now, CNN, Fox, all that, what we wind up with is a trend to making it not an entertaining presentation of events, but to make it an entertainment in and of itself. So it becomes tabloid journalism rather than effective journalism. So it becomes gossip rather than objective reporting. It becomes editorialization of a certain point justified by cherry-picking portions of the news rather than editorials clearly expressed as opinion. Even the Pope talked about the tendency of the media trying to take most of its time to destroy reputations and deal with sensationalism rather than being more matter-of-fact. Also, mm-hmm. 
you saw this in this last election in November, as well for that fact, back when Bill Clinton won his second term. They predicted that Clinton would be slaughtered. They predicted that Trump would be slaughtered. He wasn't. And neither were. And I suspect that is because they are so out of touch with reality. See, there's a lot of what they term flyover country. In other words, if you get an airplane and you fly from Memphis to Chicago or Memphis to L.A. or Memphis to New York or New York to L.A., all that stuff 35,000 feet down that you fly over, that's a lot of America, and they don't have any touch with that. They are entertainers. They didn't start off doing in-depth field reporting. They weren't that old-time reporter who went in arms way. They have a certain social outlook, cultural outlook, political outlook, and they just simply do not come into contact with, reach out to, meet or understand ordinary people. So when they look for something, the questions they ask, the things they look for, the places they go are the wrong places. A lot of the incidents that they report, these cases we're talking about, are actually the wrong cases. They just pick them up because they come across the wire, and at that point somebody is looking, oh, look at this. This looks interesting. Let's cover this. This ought to get people tuned in to hear about it. And they miss a lot of other stuff that there's nobody there to cover that happens over the weekend and doesn't show up until Monday on a police bar. Oh. Wow. So would you say, uh, what are your thoughts about this recent phenomenon about fake news then? So is mainstream news actually fake news? Well, fake news and the mainstream, as I said, have become tabloid journalism. I remember I used to keep two copies of this, and I'd show it to juries as an illustration of why they should follow the rules, the charges that would be given to them. It was a National Enquirer article. There were two of them, and they were related. One said, half boy, half pig, born in barnyard, adopted by loving farming couple. And mm-hmm. they had an infant with a pig snout airbrushed on his face. Well, a couple of years later, they had this same child, I guess, an older edition, with the same pig snout clearly airbrushed on his face, half boy, half pig, born in barnyard, uh, thrives under loving care of farming parents. So obviously you can't have pigs and people interbreeding in the first place. People don't show up with pig snouts, and that's obvious nonsense, and even the so-called picture is crudely airbrushed, but it's on the front page of the National Enquirer, which was a prototypical American tabloid for inquiring minds. Right. And now 
you see, what do you call that? That's obviously nothing but a cartoon and a fake. But you see, that's become mainstream news. So when you get the Internet, smartphone, oh, I mean, let's see, when they went to uh, land on the moon with the Apollo mission, Uh the entire NASA system only had four megabytes of memory capacity. I mean, for God's sake, the most primitive cell phone you buy now has four times that. Right. And what do they do with it? Do they do it for any purpose that is constructive? No. They use all of this technology for gossip. And gossip is inherently unreliable. And the net is filled with fake nonsense, idiots talking about when they want to go to the bathroom, when they're constipated. They were sitting on their sofa drinking tea. Who cares? They're trivial, small lives, and they get a chance to get a forum, and they put it out there, and they tweet. Mm -hmm. If you tweet on Twitter, does that make you a twit? (laughs) You see... So the whole Internet has been swamped with this kind of nonsense. People hear it on the net and accept it, but it's unreliable. It's unresearched. Somebody heard. Somebody put something out there. Somebody saw stupid. So just because it's got a lot of hits on it, that makes it reliable. Just because it goes around and people repeat it and don't know where they got it from, that makes it reliable. And that just goes back to Adolf Hitler and Goebbels, his propaganda minister. Tell a lie long enough and loud enough, and you can get anybody to believe it. Hmm. Well, man, just speaking of things, I mean, it's all coming to what I want to ask you my next question. Uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, pizza gate phenomenon? Do you believe it's true about the pedophilia ring at some type of pizza restaurant in uh, D.C.? being a home for that, uh, some very powerful elite members of the establishment. Are you familiar with the Pizzagate? Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Who cares? If it's sufficiently valid, somebody will be indicted. If they get any proof on it, it'll be hyped up and made entertaining on CNN, Fox, and all the plethora of news stations. API will run it. Uh, UPI will run it. It'll be on USA Today, LA Times, New York Times, spread around the country, and you'll hear a lot of entertaining nonsense about it. There might be a trial. So right now, all it is is somebody running his mouth off. It's another one of these conspiracy theories. But even I would say, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. But they say if it do have validity, but in this environment, in this climate where people are creating pushback against so-called fake news, I don't think the Watergate scandal could have taken out in this scandal, I mean, in this climate. Look, if it's real, somebody will investigate it in somebody's DA's office or local U.S. attorney's office. Mm-hmm. Anything out of it, you may hear something more about it. 
Okay, but you you ever experienced a case where you thought something was weird or fishy, and it never got properly investigated by the so-called authorities? That's why they have this thing beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of mess like that out there. Like, look at this one. You've got this Muslim woman who in New York falsely claimed that she was harassed by Trump supporters because she was Islamic. Mm-hmm. She concedes that she was lying and nothing happened. Okay. The same thing in the media today. You've got this black cop who is indicted for shooting a black suspect who was armed when he was shot first, but when he falls, the black cop is alleged to go stand over him and shoot him in the chest after you can see his gun thrown over a fence. Now, that's one separate alleged crime. But Mm -hmm. then you find uh, he was terminated for homosexual molestation of another somebody in a drunken incident in a bar, and then they're separate one, two, maybe three accusations against him for improprieties and other matters. So, okay, makes him look really weird, but is any of it true? Mm-hmm. You see, you don't know until it's put to the test. But it makes an interesting contrasting news event. Mm. Now, that's interesting. I mean, this something I know I had saw a video clip of Denzel. I believe he was at a screening for his new movie Fences coming out on Christmas Day. Uh, he said something to the fact that if you don't pay attention to the news, uh, you uninformed. But if you do pay attention to the news, you misinformed. So how can you really win? <laughs> if you, you know. well, here's what it is. You look something, you see something on the news. Mm-hmm. Go to independent sources and see what you get out of it. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, we're talking about this election situation where people said the election may have been rigged. The CIA is saying it. But you've been saying for years that the uh, election uh, situation in Shelby County, Tennessee is rigged, right? Yeah. But, yeah, nobody – why – go ahead, I'm sorry. See, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. An election can be hacked, but not the way these clowns are talking about it. You can't hack it over the Internet which is what they're accusing the Russians of doing. That's nonsense. That sounds more like sour graping to me. Mm-hmm. But the way they do it here in Shelby County with these Debold machines that have been disposed of in every other county in America except Memphis and one other Tennessee county is you can take a smartphone or a tablet or iPad and you dictate a text to a third party and you walk in within five, ten feet of an election machine in a precinct, and you hit send. That gets read by the card reader in the machine, and that will corrupt that machine, eventually all of them in the precinct, and eventually within an hour, approximately, the whole system. You can't do that over the net. What you do see is in Shelby County, the device is, there's no paper, there's supposed to be a paper trail, but they, through the election commission, 
with the complicity of the Democratic Party members. Uh, They don't check it. They don't monitor it. And essentially there becomes no trail. And what happens is you use candidate numbers. So one of the devices is, is you have two candidates for office, but maybe eight or nine candidate numbers in the machines. So what you do is when you dictate this text, you use the candidate numbers, and you've already hacked into the system previously. And what you then do is when you send it, there is a signal that, say, proportionately for every uh, 10 votes this candidate gets, you send four to the other candidate or to another candidate number. You can manipulate the machines or the process, but you can't hack in from Russia. That's just some ignorant nonsense. And the CIA, well, you know, one of the problems the United States has had for the last 70 years is the incompetence of its intelligence community. You see, it started off because you got a bunch of rich boys at Harvard, Yale, Princeton who had traveled and could speak multiple languages, so they ran to OSS, and then the CIA, which was supposed to brief the president daily. And they can't handle themselves on the streets. They couldn't even they couldn't even survive in the inner city or the barrios in the US, let alone somewhere in Europe or Asia or South America. And you left the intelligence gathering to them. So what they tended to do was try to buy it, so they got a lot of fraudulent nonsense from people who wanted to sell it. Like during the Cold War, they never infiltrated the Politburo or the upper echelons of the Russian power or the Soviet power structure, whereas the other way around was true. They never infiltrated uh, Castro's Cuba, but the other way around was there, so we never knew how to run an intelligence game, and our information has singularly been reliable. What we have tended to do is, since we could not find out information relative to what is actually going on in the world, we decided to dictate what was going on, so the CIA became Murder Incorporated. Mm. And uh, too often, it's like take Saddam Hussein Mm -hmm. to offset religious fanaticism in the Middle East. You get a Saddam Hussein who's a strong man who keep it in control and secular. And then, you know, he gets to be inconvenient. So you try to double cross him, maybe assassinate him. He gets mad at you. And then he starts doing stuff, so then you want to take him out. There are articles on Osama bin Laden from back in uh, the 1980s about him being the middleman taking the engineering plans to make nukes to Pakistan, you know, with the complicity of the U.S. government as a counter to India having nukes at the time. You get this mess in the mid-'80s, 
the Iran-Contra thing, arms for the Contras, and Osama bin Laden becomes the middleman to transfer the weapons and Stinger missiles to the Afghanistani, quote, freedom fighters who become the Taliban eventually, mm-hmm. and then make the money transfers and arrangements. So when that hit the fan, you know, Ali Gar North became a scapegoat, and I guess they tried to kill bin Laden, it seems, and he got angry. You know, so Reagan's plausible deniability could keep him from being impeached, which it ultimately develops, and nobody wanted to look at it at the time. But Reagan signed three executive orders uh, directing his people to disregard the congressionally passed laws, which is impeachable. So you see, we got a whole lot going on there. I mean, I started thinking about what you were saying. You go back to the 50s with uh, Iran and the situation we did, the CIA did, with the, you know, uh, overthrowing the government, the democratically elected yeah, government. Yeah, Shaw of Iran. Right, right. And we, that's our yeah, problems right there. I mean, well, see, to this day. Well, look at the oil crisis. Yeah. You do know that the U.S. government back in the early 70s and the Nixon administration got the Shah of Iran to call the meetings that were eventually chaired by Henry Kissinger to set up OPEC. And in the first oil crisis, OPEC, you know, was called to an emergency meeting, and Kissinger chaired the meetings, and he strongly urged, if not twisted some arms, so that OPEC declared an oil crisis. Why? for the profitability of American oil companies. See, American oil companies don't really have to buy the oil from the Middle East. What they do is they sell it to their own conglomerates on consignment. So they already get money. Every dollar that the Middle East or OPEC raises the oil price by, they get 15 or 10% of that. And by the way, there's some other stuff too. One of the largest OPEC oil-producing companies is Nigeria, but most people don't know that. Hmm. And they got, what they got, what's the name of their group over there, Boko Haram? <laughs> yeah, they've got all kinds of crazy stuff. I used to have a former roommate 15, 20 years ago was deputy chief minister of energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he's doing now, but he got to be very rich. They probably put him in front of a firing squad and shot him. But he tells me about his, told me years ago, 18 years ago now, about his experiences, you know, toting a briefcase after he was a young grand, 74, uh, 73, when Hissinger called those meetings and then demanded that OPEC create a crisis to generate inflation so that certain loans would go down and Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors were trying to buy interest in Japanese and uh, European automotive manufacturing and they wanted to make those compact cars very attractive and lucrative. So, you know, but what's going on right now, though, who's the Secretary of State, I mean, Secretary of State that Donald Trump won't, I mean, he's an oil guy. Should we be yeah, concerned? Yeah, but should we be concerned now, like Obama. you're talking about this history? 
Well, Obama's an oil guy. His stepdaddy, who adopted him and left him a trust fund, make one-third of the trust fund, he's a beneficiary of it, uh, was uh, founded one of the world's largest oil firms in Indonesia. So mm. Obama's an oil man. He's got this trust fund out of Indonesia that gives him his money, you know, based on oil revenue. So what's the difference? Well, I'll tell you. Bush and his daddy are beneficiaries of Zapata Oil and Zapata Offshore Oil uh, set up by George Herbert Walker Bush with the complicity of George Herbert Walker, Uncle Herbie, who founded Alliburton in 1946. Go ahead, sorry, Judge. Go ahead. I was saying, it seems like you're a man of the law. You, you're a man with integrity and honor, and you serve the law. You're, you're, you're an officer of the law, and you're a judge. Does it bother you that these people get away with it generation after generation? Yeah. Do this but type of see, thing? But you see, there's an interesting thing about America. With our form of government, we get the representation we deserve. Mm. So if the public is screwed up, they get screwed up leadership. If they want to be distracted by also NFL, NBA, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and sports and Atlanta Housewives and Kardashians and a lot of this nonsense sitcom on TV and other stuff, you know, why not? You deserve to be ripped off if you don't pay attention to your business. You keep electing somebody who doesn't do anything for you, just give you some showpiece stuff, you know, but really everything he votes for is for the guys to take advantage of you. But then, like, even, you know, I just say all politics are local. Even getting back, they talk about the Russia, talking about they could hack this, you know, election. But getting back what you said about the Shelby County situation, like, you've been arguing and advocating for them to look into this for years, and yet nothing is done. Yeah, something got done. 2008, the federal government put the money up to replace the D-ball machines. All it takes is a simple majority vote by the Democratic-dominated uh county commission to either below signed commissioners hereby resolve that these machines should be replaced. Money's there, but it's being drained by, you know, bank cost every month and inflation diminishing the value of it. So it's been recognized. Well, we went through several election cycles since 2008, and they have not. I mean, what is the reason you feel that these people... Well, I think probably there's a collaboration between the Democratic and Republican uh, interests uh, to get a chance to use it to their own advantage. So now, really... Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Look at what... look at, If you want to talk about what the Russians did, look at what the Democratic National Committee did to screw... Uh, Bernie Sanders' chances of getting the nomination. Look what they did locally. Mm-hmm. See, the Democratic Party was in such sorry shambles here locally that they got disenfranchised on the state level. Mm. I mean, you go to a so you go to a Democratic Party 
Central Committee meeting. They don't even have anybody there except Dale Gill that knows what parliamentary procedure is. Nobody knows how to run a meeting. They had a party chairman who was in place. Uh, and the process was, did not follow the rules, and he holds the position at the pleasure of a Republican office holder. It's a really crazy. Mm-hmm. In other words, he works for the sheriff's department. The sheriff is a Republican, and the sheriff appointed him to his position, but he becomes local chair of the Democratic Party. What is that? And he can't run a meeting? Mm. Doesn't know how? Do we need a, like you talking about Saddam Hussein being a strong man, do we need a, another boss Crump for the Democratic Party in Tennessee? No, I don't think you need a Crump. Crump was a, that's an old situation. You know, that goes back to 1907, more than 100 years ago. So that's mm-hmm. a different situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, don't miss your water till your well runs dry, but then, you know, Tennessee, see, never got deprived of, blacks never got deprived of the right to vote here. Boss Crump got brought to Memphis from Mississippi to protect Robert Church's interest. Robert Church's father was the richest Mississippi plantation owner, and, you know, prior to the Civil War and after. Mm -hmm. Church was one of his surviving children. His legitimate children died in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So he gave a lot of stuff to Robert Church, and white folk were taking it. So he sent this smart white lawyer up, boss, who became Boss Crump, to protect his colored son's interests. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you invite the double in. <laughs> yeah, but then again, see, Trump never had a white majority supporting him. He had a white minority, but when he put it with the black bloc vote, he got an absolute majority. So it was in Trump's interest to keep the black voter from being disenfranchised. You mean Crump, are you saying Crump or Trump? Crump. Okay, Crump, okay. Well, okay, well, Oh, wow. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. See, one of the problems with Memphis politics now is Crump set up this black broker scheme, black power brokers, and it's morphed, and you see it now in sort of its degenerate form where they have ballots by prominent black entities or either individual or collective where they have various candidates on those ballots. See, that's a carryover from the Trump era. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I actually this about um, about uh, Trump. Well, your takes about the fact. I mean, I, I read somewhere about his uh, his uncle being John G. Trump. I think John J. I think John G. Trump. He was an MIT scientist. And they say he was one of the people calling in to look into uh, Nikola Tesla's uh, notebooks after he passed away back in 43. 
uh, and people have like they got conspiracy theories out. They they're accusing Donald Trump of being a time traveler, based on the information that his uncle obtained from Tesla's notebooks. Uh, I, have, I had a physics minor at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still keep up with it. I assure you, Donald Trump is not a time traveler. <laughs> What do you think it is like about people with these uh, with these conspiracy theories? Do you think that our conspiracy theories bad, or does it show people are thinking about stuff? Is it are they good in a way because people are thinking outside the box or trying to think critically, most or are they really time, bad? Most of the time, it's just nonsense, and it shows you why humans are so gullible and easily led. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll give you an example of some interesting in and outs. Okay. We've heard all of the anti-Islamic rhetoric from the Trump group, right? Right. We've heard about Bannon and Breitbart being racist and anti-Muslim, right? Right. And Stephen Bannon of Breitbart News, who is Trump's advisor. Right. Well... Has anyone heard of Rahim Kassar? He's a Muslim. He is the London editor of Breitbart News. And he met with Trump November 20th in Trump Towers, accompanied by Nigel Farage, a British member of parliament who is a far-right conservative. So you see, there's all kinds of little things within things. Well, I also got a Jewish son-in-law too, that uh, Jared Kushner guy. This is the name. You know, I'm talking about Donald Trump, his son-in-law, who's married mm-hmm. to his daughter. I mean, they yeah, trying to say he's an anti-Semitic. Don't say it's kind of complicated with Donald. He's like they're trying to paint him into a picture, into a corner. But he's been a Democrat most of his life. He's not even really a conservative. No, he's not. See, it's interesting. He came in and he took over the Republican Party. He was nominally an independent, but more leaning Democrat. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders was an independent who caucused with the Democrats. But you see, the difference is, is that the Republican Party did not have this obscene thing called superdelegates whereas the Democratic Party did. The Democratic mm-hmm. Party, I think, put those superdelegates in place just so they could reward somebody with cronyism like they were trying to reward Hillary Clinton. She right. was not the candidate. Mm-hmm. And Sanders was the one. He probably could have made the election a landslide in his favor. But you see, the Democratic Party was not able to generate a very big turnout for the primary. In fact, they didn't really want one. And they used the superdelegate process to shoehorn in Hillary Clinton, who was an inappropriate candidate. He satisfied reverse sexism. The feminists were demanding a woman, any woman. And now they're talking about resurrecting her, which they need to leave that alone or bring in Michelle Obama as presidential candidate in 2020, which is ridiculous. Like, 
what possible basis do you have other than the fact that she's a woman to put her in as a presidential candidate? She has no qualifications above and beyond several million other Americans. And that's kind of like we want somebody black in, but look, you've got a black on the U.S. Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas, who is the last person to do any good for us, has contrasted to the great Thurgood Marshall, who, by the way, when he retired, famously uttered when they talked about the likelihood of Thomas being nominated, uh, they inferred it. He said, a black snake will bite you just as quick as a white one. Now, you see, we had somebody black in the White House for eight years. What did he do for us? You know, two Supreme Court positions open. Did he nominate another black? No. What did he do? Very little. Did he come up with any push legislation to put people back to work? No. He came up with affordable health care, which Republican Senator Bill Frist from the state of Tennessee came up with that is an abomination. I mean, we are even sitting up talking about they can't wipe out affordable health care or Obamacare. Why not? It's a ripoff of the people. It's for the benefit of big business. It's not good for the people. Right. You ain't lying about that. Yeah, <laughs> you ain't not lying. I'm an old, I'm a senior citizen. I got to deal with that. That is a travesty. Yeah, they're trying to all kinds of ways. See, that goes back with fake news and the net and everything else. Now, you see, the bad thing is back some time ago, you know, what you had to say got vetted. <clears throat> and it might be unpopular, but if it was astute or different, you know, it made its way into the public eye. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, any damn fool can get on the net and be heard. Any damn fool or fools can come up with fake news. So you get all of this hype, and it goes back to that principle, tell a lie long enough and loud enough, you can get anybody to believe it. And that ties in with what Abraham Lincoln said. You can fool most of the people most of the time, some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. So every now and then you have to wait an opportunity for the third case to come along. You can't fool all the people all the time. But, you know, people are so easy to fool. <coughs> so <coughs> we have beliefs, but we have little wisdom. <coughs> Very much we believe in conspiracy theory and that the world is flat, and if you go too far, you'll fall off the end of it. <clears throat> but we have very few people that study geography. Very few people that read. Very few people that can read very well. Mm-hmm. And everybody can vote, including the ignoramuses. Why do you want to vote for him? I think he's handsome. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> Or he's cheating on his wife. 
What does that have to do with whether or not you get put to work? Right. Oh, he's one of us, but is he good for us? Mm. You see, we you get all kinds of crazy things. Uh, go off and vote for a chick flick matinee idol. Mm. New hope, new and improved. Hell, maybe what's mature and wise. That's the appeal of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. See? And the media tells you, see, to me, look, I know people. And I know a lot of my friends and the people I hang with. And some of my people that I know talk about, oh, he's embarrassing. He's so crude. Well, he just sounds just like you do when you have two or three mugs of beer in you. Right. <laughs> you know, so what's the difference? He ain't saying anything you did. I haven't heard you say. Right. Hmm. Or... Well, I like Hillary. Why? Hey, you know you couldn't stand being around a person like that for five minutes being in the same room. <laughs> so where did you get the idea that you'd like to have her in charge of you? Mm-hmm. Well, he's a racist. She is, too. She's just grinning in your face. He's telling you about it. <laughs> and if you want to talk about a racist, let's talk about St. Ron the Ragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ragon was a real racist. He mm-hmm. pulled the race card out atrociously. Mm-hmm. I don't see why people are upset. These poor black kids, they get vegetables too. Don't they get a packet of ketchup with their meals? <laughs> Sound like old Granddaddy Reagan. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you this though. Uh, this, this phenomenon of uh, black folks now, a lot of black people they call black folks they don't agree with. We might have a different point of view. Coons. It's a, that's a popular thing to call black folks coons. People like uh, Charles Barkley or Stephen A. Smith or even a Ray Lewis, and especially folks who want to sit down and talk shop with somebody like Donald Trump. And I can recall reading about Whitney Young used to run the Irving League, like he actually met with Richard Nixon and was able to get more money out of Richard Nixon than he did out of uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and Kennedy combined. You know, Nixon gave him twenty-eight million dollars for the Irving League. Well, hell, Hillary Clinton campaigned for Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about some? You talking about like a, a snake oil salesman? You know, going to action and war drugs? Yeah. She was a Republican until a year after Nixon got elected. Yeah, that's true. She was head of the Young Republicans at Wesley University, all girls school. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what's the difference? But you see, some of the people that are calling the coon name now. Back in the 60s, they'd be called coons. <laughs> I agree with you. They just use it so sparingly. It's just really like it lost its uh, thing. We'd say brother been co-opted by counter-revolutionary forces. 
But, but back then, y'all saw you got to work. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was some certain nuances and subtleties. Like, people don't even understand that. Like, somebody could be doing stuff. I look at Whitney Young. He did some things that might not people consider, like, he helped. But he was trying to help black folks in the corporate world. He was doing things to make concessions and stuff like that. They ought to get black folks in. That's probably on concern. And his image took a hit for that. I mean, they said they tried to kill him at one point, some black nationalists, supposedly. Well, you know, it was all about. See, they had a con. They had a concept then called con- heightening the contradictions. Mm-hmm. Do you vote for the lesser of two evils, or do you vote to heighten the contradictions? In other words, if you went for heightening the contradictions, you went for something that would make the 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 reality obvious rather than something that would disguise it. Like voting for Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So could this be a redeeming point for black folks, particularly young black people as well, since we missed out on the last eight years? Could this be something that could be not only a wake-up call, but just something that could actually help us get organized and really focus, refocus, and recalibrate? See, Big Daddy in the White House ain't going to really help you. Mm -hmm. It's all, like you said, logo is all about helping yourself. Right. No, it certainly doesn't hurt if somebody's not trying to get in your way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but see, we just don't get it. It's all supposed to be so easy, and it's all supposed to be so safe. Mm-hmm. Like I listen to young black folk. We've got to get rid of guns. Brother, why in the world do you want to get rid of access to firearms? You're talking about making changes, which is dangerous. Do you really want to be disarmed talking that when you just become another fool Negro they can kill when they want to? Good point. Mm. Like you said, we think we can have revolution without the blood. Like Michael said, you can't have no bloodless revolution. But like you said, no. we never really been given the opportunity. All we have been given the opportunity, but we we, we betrayed it. In terms of, like, we try to opt out of that. You see, I, the older I get, the more I get really nauseated with the prospect that for the years we were in slavery, they made us into pretty good domestic animals. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In other That's words, different. a wild animal, you got to worry about a domestic animal will sit there and be peaceful to you even if you intend to eat him. Yeah, I, I definitely get you. Because I know somebody was making some points. I know people make a point and say, look, your religion does not teach you to be a coward. You know, Nat Turner was a, a, a Christian. Harry Tucker was a Christian. You know, they didn't go around their knees and bow down and let somebody do some harm to them. They fought back. So what is this thing with us and this religion? Like, we'll forgive folks that didn't ask for our forgiveness. Like, even Dylan Roof. He killed all those people in cold blood. He didn't ask for nobody's forgiveness. Well, see, here's the thing. There's never, mm-hmm. been, a re- uh, there's never been a successful revolution driven by religion. Okay. Religion and revolution don't mix. Mm. Now, that's, that's, now, that'd be an interesting debate. I, I can hear some of these black preachers around Memphis already calling me out on that. These well, young guys. These care. young five grand. I know most of them, and they don't match my standards of firebrand. Just look on the national level 
do we really have any black leadership in America? I mean, back days ago, when mm-hmm. you would be lynched, shot up, murdered, assassinated, we had more aggressive black leadership than we have now. Yeah. You had Stokely Carmichael, H. Rap Brown, uh, you had Malcolm X, you had Eldridge Cleaver, you had all sorts of people advocating effective, you know, aggressive change. You know what's crazy? We just said that. I was thinking about what Malcolm said at this interview. I think, at the, uh, I think he did an interview with Berkeley back in the day, I'm not mistaken. He was talking about how people try to make black entertainers leaders. Like, this is what we're doing right now. Like, he's like, you try to make Nina Horn and Dick Gregory, all these people leaders. They entertain us. They're not leaders like that. And now we're looking at Beyonce and Jay-Z and people like that as our leaders. And they're entertainers. What? I know. What the hell is that? <laughs> I'm asking you. I want to know what your thoughts are about this. Because you was back then and doing look, stuff now. Look, 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 look. It, I did stuff back then, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of us did. It just didn't hit the papers. We were just right. sort of linemen, you know. <clears throat> we did our part. Mm-hmm. But you see, it's like this. See, you can be a celebrity and have good sense. But on the other hand, being a celebrity doesn't mean that you have. Right. (laughs) Being a celebrity means you can be a dangerous down somebody, but being a celebrity, well, doesn't keep you from being, but it certainly doesn't indicate it since you've been into entertaining. You've been into accommodating the forces that be in the white power structure that keep down aggressive, real people. You have been leading to the pacification of your people, Mm -hmm. and you've been into a fantasy world. Your typical actor has made a career of make-believing. Right. Now, granted, uh, let's take movie actors. You can get somebody who came in laterally in the 60s when there was a real wall, like Jim Brown. Right. I was thinking Jim Brown. Mm -hmm. Nothing off of nobody. I met him. Probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't remember me, but a friend of mine used to be his bodyguard, all right? Mm Mm-hmm. Jim Brown took nothing off of nobody. He was a hell of an athlete and a hell of a man. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, they put him in the movies, but he came in collaterally. He didn't come up with, I always wanted to be in Hollywood. Right. You see, and I looked at him. Judge was going to sentence him, put him on probation. He said, I ain't doing it. Just put me in jail. I ain't doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I was a judge at the time, but you know what I had to say? Hey, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Came down that. But but also he did work in the community, like trying to do build up black businesses, even with his American organization to this day. He has done stuff in the community. But he was a real leader outside. He just didn't use his football. I'm a football player. I'm a national sports person for black people. He actually did work in the community. 
to get that legitimate leadership mantle. But a lot of folks just lead us because they put out one of the best albums of the year or they, they got the hottest TV show or movie, and people think they're supposed to be a leader for black people. What, what, what is it? Kanye said I support Trump. Right, I would have right. voted for him if I had a voted. Right. That, that, look at that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he met with Trump a couple of days ago, but he had to go to a mental institution for that, supposedly. For that yeah, little rant but, he did. But the bottom line is, it's like, I would have voted for him if I had voted. Right. He didn't do it. He didn't do anything. Now, right. just shut the hell up, keep your mouth closed, and quit profiling and go learn something. I mm. said, I have no problem with your enthusiasm, but, you know, hey. The way you think about your your advice to these active like the Black Lives Matter movement is people already know it's been co opted by white liberal forces. Like they actually provided the seed money for these people. Yeah, and the LGBTQ thing. Right. What's your thoughts about? I mean, what's going on with Black activism today? What are your 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 honest hey, look, critique? They, they, look, it, the bottom line is is They're angry about the wrong things with the wrong kind of mental attitude. I'm angry. Well, are you willing to fight about it? Well, yes. Well, okay. Uh, what kind of skills do you have? What do you mean? Can you fight? Well, I'm going to get out there and pro- can you fight? I didn't ask you if you can run your mouth off. <laughs> have you ever been in a fight? Huh? Well, yeah. I took an active. No, I don't want about an activist position. Have you ever been in a fist fight? <laughs> of course not. That's right. awful. Just, just mm-hmm. Shut up. Go stand over there someplace. Mm. And keep your mouth closed. Wow. So we really in bad shape. So the young activist said it's really not where it's at. The black millennials got a lot of work. Yes, they, they, they. I am really disappointed with how passive black people have gotten. It seems like all of the stuff that comes out aggressive is in the inner city and random, stupid, suicidal, self-destructive violence. Right. But nobody's willing to put a risk on the line. And see, the other thing that's bad about the Christian religious bit is, is they believe in heaven, but hell. I mean, it seems like, why don't you just take the chance to go see if there is a heaven and a hell, put your life on the line, and go take some chances in the name of righteousness. I heard that. You know, I actually said this a couple weeks ago. I said, you know what? There's a difference in the mentality of people. Just from Black folks from 1992 was more about it, about it than black folks of today. I mean, I'm just thinking about how black folks were back in 92 doing the Rodney King stuff. And even the OJ thing, and now you look at black. I guess we've been programmed so much by the popular culture and what they've been well, doing see, to us. If you see, take '92. See, there's even a difference with that. Mm-hmm. I saw the LA riot in '65. I was 18 years old. I, mm-hmm. you know, I was there. Mm-hmm. It was different than in '92. Okay. '92 was just an eruption. There mm-hmm. was no point to it. It was just a bunch of frustrated people getting a a release. Okay. Ninety five, it was an uprising. Mm. They had guards out in front of businesses run by whites that were good whites, or Koreans mm-hmm. and 
don't touch this. They're good people. They treat us all right. Go get that place over there. They ain't no good. Mm-hmm. You see what the difference? Yes, sir. Uh, so really, at 65, y'all was really fighting for prospects for freedom, like Michael, Malcolm would say. Y'all really got to let it pop out go off. We ran LAPD out of South Central L.A. It wasn't even a war. It was really a war. It was really warfare. Yeah, and they had to bring in the National Guard. And the interesting thing was, was 18 months after that, black crime stopped. Hmm. There wasn't any. And LAPD would ride two to acquire instead of one, and they would look straight ahead and... They wouldn't mess with anybody. And if you not understand what you're talking about, the LAPD, they the ones that came up with SWAT team, right? They like some of the most vicious yeah. stuff. Yeah. They all from the South and stuff. Some of those good old boys. Special weapons and mm-hmm. tactics. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you something, too. 1973, mm-hmm. I was down in Jackson, Mississippi, and I saw some recruitment posters for LAPD. <laughs> Wow. That's just um Wow, man. That's why I say, Judge, it's always a pleasure because people don't understand, like, they know you from the TV, Judge, but when I get comments and stuff and people say, man, he is so knowledgeable. Like, Judge Joe Brown knows so much stuff, and he, I, I wish I could see more of this. I didn't know Judge was like this. They changed their whole concept of who you are as a person. Like, you just walk in history books. Yeah, see, I never, they came and recruited me. I didn't apply. Mm-hmm. And I was reluctant, but I said, you know, this would get me a pulpit to preach a message from. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a message for black people. It was a message for everybody. Mm-hmm. Promoting manhood and protecting womanhood. And see, that has gone down in society over the last 50 years, thanks to feminism. Mm-hmm. Protecting womanhood and promoting manhood. And also, I want to bring you some about feminism. Now we know that the majority of white women are not feminists because they voted for Trump over Hillary, right? Would that be correct? Yeah, well, 43% of the women voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. 40, something like that. You know, so it's, <clears throat> you know, it's like. And Latinos vote for him, too, though. That's crazy. A lot of Latinos voted for him. Yeah, but you see, bottom line is, is it's like you get one somebody being so ultra nice and genteel, and if you want to get the proper perspective, get one of these things. Just think, uh, what is it, Dallas? Remember Dallas mm-hmm. with Hagman is J.R. Ewing? Right. Remember the women in Dallas who were always so polite to each other and mm-hmm. trying to stab each other in the back. <laughs> like Hillary, I guess. Exactly. Uh-huh. By the way, when I lived in California last, Hagman was a neighbor of mine. Mm. He was a Democrat actor, right? He was a lifelong Democrat. Is that correct? I gather, yeah. I mean, he was liberal. I'd say, I'd say he was liberal. Well, yeah. More so than his character on Dallas. Also, a neighbor up there was Anthony Hopkins. Uh, wow. He was an interesting guy. I bet. <laughs> we got both of them guys with interest. <laughs> well, Anthony Hopkins is a painter, too. He puts these art exhibits on every night. Nice guy. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a very interesting person. I'm sure people that gave you find you very refreshing. I'm just an old man trying to do my thing, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of antagonism these days. See, I, people used to love me on all different levels. Nowadays, you know, I, I get the worst hate from the people that are supposed to be in charge of stuff. Ordinary folk out there, they still like me, but, you know, I get so many haters, boy, it is pathetic. Well, you know, I, I, I'm saying that hate is a new love now. When they hate you like that, they mean they love you. It's a form of love. You know, it's just, it's just weird now because I guess it's just the, 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 just the climate of the times right now. People are so on edge for all the wrong reasons and things. People are afraid of their own shadows, and people are afraid to go out. People are afraid to, to speak their mind. People are afraid to... And that's why it was refreshing to hear of Donald Trump, kind of like an Archie Bunker. You know, like, I look, and he's from Queens, too. So, you know, I still look at it like, he's just telling why, why. It's like why he used to listen to Don Imus in the morning before he got in trouble with the Rutgers basketball team. I always used to listen to Don Imus in the morning on MSNBC because I want to know what white America really thinks. You know, what they really by thought the way, about, you know, everybody. By the way, mm-hmm. professional women's basketball, why don't they wear tights and stuff and glam up like women do who run track or play indoor volleyball? That's a good question. That's a good point, actually. I, I don't look at no girls' basketball. Really. I don't really look at WNBA. Like you know what struck me as kind of funny? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the – I was at one of these sports bars. It may have been – Buffalo Wild Wings or something. Just mess somebody mm-hmm. down there to talk, you know. Mm-hmm. And they have all these TV screens up. And I'm looking, and there's men's basketball, and these males have all these wild hairdos and braided hair and everything. And I'm looking <laughs> at the girls, and I can't tell the girls from the boys. There's a screen with women's basketball and the screen with the boys' basketball, and they dressed just alike and had the same hairstyles just alike. And I'm going, you know, this is getting awful androgynous in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this gender fluidity phenomenon they talk about. Gender fluidity, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to black men, it's kind of like a double standard, though. With black men, with black women, they get the... Have sex with everything, but with black men, if you have sex, you know, with everything or with certain things or with certain people, you get outcast. I think it's fascinating. We try to do everything they do. Now, I tell you something. I had some Nigerian roommates when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I've been to the Bahamas a lot, to Jamaica a lot. Down there, they called me a Jamaican. Mm. Hey, man, you go to a Jamaica a lot, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> American man from America and Jamaica man. That's right. And you know what they say? What they say? Brothers wear dreads, women wear braids. Mm. And I wish all these sisters would stop braiding up their sons' hair. Dreads are okay. Don't put braids in their hair unless, you know, just encouraging them to adventure and question. Mm-hmm. You can do that if you want, but at least let them grow up so they can make a choice about it. But you know the thing about it, Judge, when you tell me you said you got to promote manhood and protect womanhood, it's like they black people 
or black men will make an excuse for gender fluidity or make an excuse for exploring their sexuality, but nobody wants to be a man. Nobody wants to, I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them swing because we know what happened to men, to black men in this system. They stand up for themselves. We know what happened to Malcolm and Martin and Paul Rovers and people like yes, that. Yes, I know. I run into that same kind of problem, ran into that same kind of problem from Hollywood. I wouldn't go that other way, so I was an outcast, you know. Get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Push him to the fringes. He won't go with the flow. No, I'm not going that way. Mm-hmm. And also, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. See, in other words, what I'm saying, going that way, I'm talking about, I'm not going to advocate all of this pacifistic stuff. You know, don't be grateful just because somebody gave you some crumbs. Take the whole damn cake. Or at least want to say, I want to be there when they slice it up. Mm-hmm. Give me the goddamn knife. Let me cut it. I know that's right. And you know, the interest, like we did that segment a couple weeks back about polygamy, and people are in a firestorm about that. A lot of black women. Saying that, I mean, but I'm saying, like you said, if a black woman not treating their boys like girls, and if you got Hillary Clinton that locked up all these black men, you got a, a shortage of available black men, and you got women laying with black men and producing kids anyway. So why not go the polygamy route and call it what it is? Yeah. But I put that out there. I said it, it, it turned me out. <laughs> Basically, every year, You've got, for the last decade, if you include all races and ethnicities in the pot, mm-hmm. only 28% of each year's high school graduates are male. Mm-hmm. So what's that mean? That means for every one male, there's three there's three females. Right. So, hey, unless the woman wants to support the guy, which is crazy. That's all kinds of pimpology in that. And by the way, you see, one of the things I don't like is too many of these situations where the boy's got a mama who's got an eight, nine, ten, eleven kids and five, six, seven different babies' daddies. Right. They tend to glor- they're back in the glorifying pimps. Yeah. You see, when I was growing up, and I represented pimps at home. Mm-hmm. Lee Melvin Turn, Marvin Ballin, Stanley Fink, and some other people that represented all these prostitutes and pimps back when. Mm. And if there is a sleazy, no good somebody that ought to be in hell, that would be right down at the bottom of the penitentiary hierarchy, just above pedophiles, it would be pimps. Mm. And see, like, what you doing, man? I'm pimping, man. I'm pimping. Why would you want to advertise that you'd be in such a sleazy, unmanly thing as a pimp? Mm. You know, that's about as low as you can get other than being a child molester. You know, if you say that, people will confuse polygamy with pimping. And I'm thinking about how is that pimping when you you look at it like Mormons, right? They 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 say religion is polygamy. They, well, and they were able to pull their resources and become a very powerful entity to deal with. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. See, mm-hmm. the bet on polygamy, the new polygamy we were talking about, 
mm-hmm. is predicated on, okay, let's say you are a black man and you've got a graduate degree, master's degree, or a Ph.D. Well, all mm-hmm. races and ethnicities combined, only 36% of the grad students are male in the whole country, 64% mm-hmm. are female. So what that means is, is that you have the ability to support. You see what I'm saying? That's Not right. you live off of. That's pimping and simping. Mm-hmm. That's begging. That's right. just being the equivalent of being a little blonde, bimbo, airhead, or gold digger. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the means to provide the wherewithal. Right. Now, Shahrazad Ali, a sister, wrote this book, mm-hmm. and she said sisters need to be realistic. Women need to be realistic. Said, ask themselves, do they have a close male friend, male cousin, male colleague, or a brother? And ask them if they know one of them who is absolutely loyal and monogamous. And the answer is going to be no, they don't. So why (laughs) should they expect if they don't know one that they know outside of some kind of sexual act, you know, connection with, that they expect the one they get to be monogamous? Quiet is kept. Sisters are just as bad about it anyway. Right, exactly. So, I mean, is it natural to be monogamous? Is that against human nature to be monogamous? I mean, really? It's called polyandrous if it goes the other way around. And okay. Polygamous if it is the way we're talking about it. Okay. But I think this talk needs to be here because we're already going that way in society. We got gay marriage that's going to help bestiality. Why not have all that out in the open, too? They already throwing dogs and catching. I mean, I'm just saying, we got gay marriage. I mean, that's not reproducing life. You got to well, recruit. They don't reproduce; they recruit. So that's really not well, like between a man and a woman. Well, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of can of worms. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to think about, and people mm-hmm. can't be objective about it. They get all hooked up and emotional about it. Tell me about it, man. Can we put that, I put that same down what you did, and I did something about it. I said, can't polygamy save the black family? And I was trying to make some argument. I ain't saying that this was the only way. I don't even think I'll embrace it myself, but it is an option to consider. Because you think about so many black women voting for Hillary Clinton, and she's one of the re- main reasons why you don't got no man. Her and her husband with that private yeah. prison stuff. Now, this gets me. Sister, <laughs> my chick complaining about that. I said, mm-hmm. I know you. I used to represent you. You got seven kids, and you got five different babies' daddies, and you've never been married. That's right. Now, what do you call that? That's polyandrous. That's being polyandrosity. That's right. That's right. You know, now, what do you call it? <laughs> well, I, I said, no, 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 no. And, you know, when I was representing you way, way back when, and I know, you know, like all of your boys went to the penitentiary, and most of them old, broke down, looked like they 70, 75, 80 years old, <laughs> and they're just hitting 40. Right. Don't lie to me. I, I know about your life because I used to be your lawyer. That's right. Now, what do you call it? 
Who's that at the dope? What, what's that old record? Who's that at the dope? That's my baby daddy. <laughs> That's right. I remember that song. I used to be awesome from the back door, man. So I remember all that. Yeah. <laughs> what you call that? Mm. Now, come on. And out of that bunch, you got one or two that you depend on because they're the only one or two that got jobs, and they didn't really want you to begin with. You just wow. got knocked up because you got him and you drunk one night. Mm-hmm. Tell me, you say I'm the devil tonight, Judge. I mean, you're going to be riled up, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's like, what do you call this? That all the ones with money. You got five David, baby daddy that broke or in the penitentiary or dead. Then, you know, one or two of them, you're going to exploit, you know, to get your vengeance for all the other mistakes you made. Yeah. So let me ask you this, how accountable are, how responsible are black women for the current situation in black male and women relationships? Are they Well see, I, I think we've been ruined as a people because of stuff like this juvenile court travesty we've got in Memphis. Right. Shelby County. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like I remember when I was first started practicing law, it's like Lloyd Brown Earl wants you to take uh you know, want, want you to represent me. You know, I've been screwing this dude from International Harvester. He make fourteen sixty two an hour, and I'm going to say he my baby daddy. It really mm. Earl, but, you know, we go down there, Judge Turner going to make him pay. All I got to do is claim it. No, I can't do that. But he say give you 5% every month. I know I'm not going to do that. Well, 10%, that's a high. We, no, I'm not going to do that. And see, they run down there, and, this travesty they've got down here that they call a juvenile court where that whole building needs to be torn down to the last brick, built all over, and half of the people been involved in that need to be dug up out of graves and put under a penitentiary floor mm. for wrongdoing. See, they set up a travesty in our community and is duplicated all around this country where a lot of black men for a 50-, 60-year period were paying child support for kids they knew weren't their kids. Mm. You see? And it's just a game that exploits our community and screws up our family life. Now, I'll give you an interesting statistic. Mm -hmm. What ethnic group pays child support more regularly than any other in the United States? Black people, African-Americans? Black men. Mm Mm-hmm. But most people don't know that. Yeah, we just we just dead be dead. We just say more that way. Like when you talk about dead be dead, you think of a black man, right? So that's yeah. Media. But you see, we are the last people in America to be dead be dead. I mean, you got that in the penitentiary, out of jail, that mm-hmm. welfare situation excuse it. But see, most people on welfare in America are not black; they're white. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And. Most dads in America that are black pay their child support. Yeah, you know, I know. I know, guys. Divorce court, yeah. We pay mm-hmm. more regular than, than anybody. Right. But, but, you but, got these circuses like juvenile court, Memphis and Shelby County, a circus. It's a kangaroo court. It's not a real court. It's just mm-hmm. a way to keep the black community down and make money off of us. That's right. And you see, you like this up in Pennsylvania, these judges went to jail for literally selling these black kids and black families 
into these penal systems so they could make money off them. That's the same thing going on down here. The Justice Department says it's the most racist and corrupt system they've ever encountered. And we sit here as a people where, you know, uh, 80.9% of the registered voters in Memphis are black. Not black, but only 19.1% of the registered voters are white. And where the majority of the population is black, we let these clowns get away with it. Mm -hmm. Where the majority of the people in Shelby County are black, and we let these racists run this thing. And the Justice Department calls them racist. Yes, sir. I don't even get the credit for calling them that. That's the U.S. Department of Justice, the most racist, bigoted operation they've ever encountered. Ever. Now that's saying something. And this is documented, right? This is in their reference. reference. Yeah. Documented. They have to come up with a quarterly report. They put them on a five year edict and they have not improved. Mm. So we got to abolish you without court. Yeah. We've got, it's a travesty. Mm. And see, they use that hack election machine system to make sure that, that, that these offices, they want to keep a DA, juvenile court judge, clerk in juvenile court, and they want to keep the sheriff's department. Mm. See, those are the power positions. The county mayor is just a frou-frou showpiece position. City mayor's actually got some power. But look at this. What's going on now? now? I'm not being racist about it. It's just you would expect, you know, something better. No, but this needs to be talk. Yeah, but this is like part of the, see what I'm saying? Like, you said we had a missed opportunity for eight years. This should have been part of what we should have been talking about, how juvenile courts treat black men. And it should have been a movement around this. I mean, I just like, well, I saw John Legend, he requested – that Obama pardoned 36,000 federal prisoners or something like that. And I'm saying you got a lot of people in jail for this bogus stuff, and, like, we allow for these people to get elected off of bogus election cycles and stuff, and for people like you who advocate for the people to be disenfranchised, this is a joke. I mean, I just think that um, we got to blame ourselves because we're paying taxes to, into a system that demeans and dehumanizes us, and they okay, and we okay with it. Yeah. We okay living in hell. We okay with the hell that we don't. This is insane. This is. Yep. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Judge, I mean, he said that the Justice Department called out the Mr. Juvenile Court. We know about the history. You talked about it on my show about Georgia Tan and, and that lady, that uh, Irish lady judge of a juvenile court doing what they did to kids. Yeah, they sold kids. Last slave auction in America was held in 1963, 62. In Shelby County Juvenile Court. Wow. And there That's you go. That's what I called it. They were bidding on, uh, and the money went in her pocket for selling babies. I call that a slave auction. It is what it is. That's true. And, I mean, we're the largest city on the Mississippi River, and the Mississippi River was known for helping trafficking slave trade, you know, so. Nathan Bedford Forrest had the, and his partner, Maples, had the biggest slave dealing business in America right here in Memphis. That's right. 
That's right. And he's a state hero. <laughs> the first KKK wizard. He's a state hero. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, what do they call it? Unofficially, <laughs> Nat Turner Park, and they've got uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest equestrian statute and he and his wife's bones presiding over the damn thing. That's right. Down there on Union. Yes, sir. What is it? Uh, Medical Park or something like that? Yeah, your health science park, whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, health park, yeah. Unofficially, Nat Turner Park. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Jed, I want to think. Go ahead. Nah. I always enjoy coming on. It's the same message, but I guess it needs to be heard. But, yes, sisters, I, I'm glad you get shook up off of this polygamy thing. You need to think about it. And yeah, I'm going to put How many of you have been telling your boys you too pretty to work, go find you some dumb woman to take care of you? That's right. See, stop that. A man's got to be a man. Quit cutting everything up for him. Quit pampering him. Quit buying him $150 Air Jordan tennis shoes. That's right. you don't want to feel bad. And for God's sake, take your little daughters and quit putting all of these weaving uh, things in their head with 10 pounds of braids on their hair. Get them a nice little cut uh, or let them grow their hair along. Show them how to take care of it. Take care of their complexions, brush their teeth, take care of their feet, dress appropriately, and pay attention to being students instead of running around, pandering to them. I want my some braids. No, they don't need all of that. Mm-hmm. The wow. boys certainly don't. Teach them to be men. Tell them to be men every time you talk to them. Act like a man. Quit pampering. Yes, Thank you, Brother Judd, so much. In the words of Great Debility, we love you madly. We always appreciate you coming on our platform. And people are getting so much out of it. But people are always asking, when will we see the judge back on TV? They want to know when they can see you back on TV. I have a sneaking suspicion you'll be able to see me back on TV. This fall, coming up, 2017. So they're very much excited. You got a new fan. I mean, you got you got your old fans, but also new fans because of the internet and people being exposed to what you are also about. And definitely, I look forward to hearing people comments in the comment section about the polygamy issues that you laid it out for them, and also about juvenile court and polyandrous relationships. So we're gonna be talking about all that on this platform over the next couple of, couple of weeks. So it's gonna be a lot of interesting things coming out. Yeah, if you got well. a good woman, be good to her. If you got a mm-hmm. good man, be good to him. But quit running around being jealous and deal with, I don't own him, I relate to him. I don't own her, I relate to her. Because the only right. way, by the way, you can be sure somebody is totally uh, committed to just you is to follow them around 24-7, and that's dysfunctional. <laughs> Very dysfunctional. And it's not really a real relationship, but you got to have trust at the foundation, right? you got to be able to trust and One people. other thing. Mm-hmm. I have, from all the courses I have handled, all of the counseling, and from having been a man and being a bachelor a whole lot, the one that's always hollering about, you running around on me, I know you are, is the one that is doing the running around or at least thinking about it. 
Yep. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, scholars and laymen. Wisdom from the judge himself, the Honorable Judge Joe Brown. Thank you so much, Judge. All right, brother. You have a good day. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.